Thank you, Ben. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, using a pew Bible, that's page 818. You know, prayer has been in the news uh, lately this past week. I don't know if you heard about uh, the mall in Dublin, Georgia, has banned all public expressions of prayer. They told a group of runners they couldn't pray together before they, they ran, and they even said people in the food court couldn't bow their heads and pray. They'd be asked to leave. On the other hand, there was also a story in the news this past week about a restaurant in North Carolina that gives a 15% discount if they catch you praying over your meal. Talk about opposite ends of the spectrum. Although it came out later this week that now the ACLU is suing them and telling them they can't do that. They've got to stop that. So they had to stop giving the 15% discount. Now, from a freedom of speech and a freedom of religion aspect, I find these stories very troubling. But from a scriptural aspect, we have to ask ourselves if this approach to praying in public is sincere and from the heart. Now, I'm not saying that it isn't. I'm not saying that people who pray over their meal aren't being sincere and from the heart. But I'm just saying that we need to remember what Jesus said about praying. We talked about it several weeks ago. He talked about people who pray on the street corners to be seen by men and to get their 15% discount on lunch. We've got to be afraid, uh, not afraid, but we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be cautious about that. Prayer is so much more than a formulaic ritual before mealtime or bedtime. It's more than just one element in a worship service or something you do to start a meeting. Prayer for the Christian must be a way of life. Paul even tells us to pray without ceasing. To have a constant spirit and attitude of prayer. Rather than just people who at times pray, we should be people who live a praying life. A life characterized, built upon, and infused with prayer. So in this next part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He gives some principles of what a powerful, prayerful life looks like. But before we look at those, I want to give us some prerequisites. Some prerequisites of a praying life. And uh, you've got notes there in your order of worship. You can follow along. There's some blanks to fill in. The first prerequisite is that we must discern God's will. We must discern God's will. Jesus taught us, remember, in the model prayer to pray for God's will to be done. Right? We're to pray, Thy will be done on earth just as it is being done in heaven. So as we spend time in God's Word, privately and together in Sunday school classes and in worship, as we spend time among God's people, we can begin to discern and pray according to God's will. Now, I'm going to say something about praying in God's will because we often, when we pray, we pray for somebody to be healed and we'll pray if it's according to your will, if it's your will. You know, we, we sort of, I think, sometimes are guilty of tagging according to your will on the end of our prayers almost like an escape hatch. It's like we're giving God an out. Right? Well, you know, if this doesn't happen, you know, I want to just make sure God understands it's okay because we're praying according to His will. Praying according to God's will is not some loophole. God doesn't need us to give Him an out. Amen? 
To pray according to God's will is simply to acknowledge that I don't see the big picture. That I don't know enough to trust my requests. It's my way of saying to God, Father, my desires are not perfect. Sin still has too much of a grip on my heart for me to know if what I am asking for is right or wrong, is selfish or selfless. So I trust You as my Heavenly Father to know not to give me everything I ask for. That's what it means to pray according to God's will. You know, Abby, my daughter, asks Julie and I for lots of things. She is already, you know, we go to the store and she sees a toy in the toy aisle and she's like, Dad, we have got to buy this. Already, she's three. Some of the things that she asks for or the things that she wants to do would do her harm. Some of the things that she wants just wouldn't be in her best interests. And some would be okay and others would be great for her. I want her to have that or to participate in that. The problem is that she can't discern the difference at her age. But her mother and I can. We are her parents. That is our job. Our job is to know whether or not what she wants is best for her. Her job is to ask us and to trust us. So first, we discern God's will. Secondly, we trust God's power. We trust. This is where faith comes into the mix. This is what Stephen read in James for us this morning. It's a belief that God is good. He is the giver of all good gifts. That our Father in heaven is loving and He is powerful. And once we are praying according to our best understanding of God's will, we pray with belief that what is impossible with us is possible with God. We trust His power to do what God is going to do. And the third prerequisite is we then desire God's gifts. See, God doesn't impose on us what He knows we need without our asking. It goes back to what Jesus said last week. Remember in in chapter 7, verse 6, if you've got your Bibles there, turn to chapter 7, just look up one extra verse to verse 6. Jesus said, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Jesus is saying that we don't give people what they've not asked for or what they don't need. We don't just assume and force things and impose what we think are good things on other people. And the same is true for God. Giving is not the same thing as imposing. God doesn't want to impose things on us. God wants us to want what He wants for us. Did you follow that? That was kind of a little loopy there. God wants us to want what He wants for us. He wants us to desire His good gifts. I mean, parents, you understand. You have good gifts you want to give your children. But you want them to want it. You want them to be excited about it, whether that's a a toy or a piece of technology, whether it's a pet or an opportunity to experience something or to learn something. And sometimes, moms and dads, you have to sort of plant a seed, don't you? You have to kind of whet that appetite. You have to sort of build some of that anticipation so that when you're able to give them that gift or take them on that trip, they're excited about it and they want it. God does the same thing with us. 
And so once we know and pray in faith according to God's will, we then must want what we are asking for. His desires become our desires. Now, does that mean that we can't pray for things that we want? Does that mean that if there's something that I think that I need or that I want, that, that I shouldn't pray for that? Can, can, I, can we not pray for our jobs? Can we not pray, pray for a pay raise? Can we not pray for that promotion or for good grades or to make the team or to get that, that acceptance letter into a college? Remember what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day what? Our daily bread. See, Jesus does want us to pray for the daily needs and matters that matter to us. If, if, if we don't pray for what matters to our hearts, you know what? We're not going to pray, are we? Let's just be honest. If you're only praying for things that you think you're supposed to pray for and you're not being honest and you're not really praying from the heart, you're, you're going to stop praying. You see, what, what happens is we begin by praying for what matters to us and eventually, over time, the more time we spend with God in prayers, those prayers will grow to encompass not just what matters to us, but what matters to others and what matters to God. So those are the prerequisites of a praying life. To discern God's will, to trust God's power, and to desire God's gifts. Now let's get into Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7 here. And we're going to talk about the posture of a praying life. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the Law and the Prophets. Jesus describes for us here the posture, the attitude of a person who lives a life of prayerfulness. In our relationship with God, the prayerful person doesn't tell God what to do. He asks. She doesn't assume she knows everything about God and His will, but seeks to know Him more fully. And the prayerful person doesn't rush ahead of God's plans, but instead knocks and waits patiently for God to open the door. That is the posture of prayer in our relationship with God. But that prayerful posture isn't only true for how we relate with God, it's also true for how we relate with each other. You know, last week we talked about having a spirit that doesn't condemn others or, or magnify their faults while we minimize ours. And we addressed our tendency to assume what other people need and sort of force on them our wonderful advice, kind of barge right in and put our noses where they're not welcome. But in a prayerful life, the person of prayer sees a different posture. Rather than demand from others, we ask. Rather than assume, we seek to understand. And rather than barge right in, we knock and we wait for an invitation. In Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 14-15, if you remember, after He gives us the model prayer, He talks about forgiving others if we want to be forgiven by God. That is based on this truth 
that we can't have one posture towards God and another posture towards other people. This same principle comes up again in 1 John 4.20 where we're told we can't love God and hate our brother. Or in James 3.9 where James points out that the same mouth cannot praise God and curse other people. The same posture we have towards God has to be the same posture we have towards each other. Think of the cross of Christ to picture this posture of a praying life. There is a vertical element. Our relationship with God. But there is also a horizontal element. Our relationship with our fellow man. And both are necessary and dependent on each other or we're not reflecting the cross of Christ, are we? That's the posture of a praying life. It's one of humility. It's one of gentleness. It's one of courtesy. And it's not just with God... It's with our fellow man. Then Jesus talks also in this passage about the purposes of a praying life. And the first purpose of the praying life is to ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. The power of prayer is in the asking. Because it is the power to join with God in His purposes and His work. The power of asking, really, it's the power of relationship. And that is the source of the power of prayer. It is our relationship with God. Think back again to posture. We don't have a posture that demands. We have a posture that asks. With another person, when we ask, we honor their freedom. We invite them into partnership with us in whatever it may be. And the same is true in prayer. We honor the sovereignty of God and we invite Him to partner with us in our present need in a partnership of grace. That is what asking God in prayer accomplishes. And you know, when we ask for something, we are submitting ourselves to the other person's will, aren't we? Because if we ask them, they have the power to say, no. Now, we don't like to hear that, do we? When we ask people for things. I mean, right, Mark? (laughs) Matt, Ben, when we ask people to help and volunteer with stuff, we don't want to hear, no. But we have to ask. We have to give you the right to either say, yes, I'll partner with you in this, or no, I'm not able to do that. In prayer... We submit ourselves to God's will. We ask, fully knowing that He can say yes, He can say no, or He can say wait. The timing isn't quite right. So why is it then that people have such a hard time asking for help sometimes? Do you know anybody who has a hard time asking and receiving help? Maybe that's you. Maybe you also have a hard time raising your hand and being honest. See, the person who has a hard time asking for help, it's often because they're too prideful to submit, they're not willing to risk the no, or they're too fearful to trust. They're not willing to risk that if the person says yes, they're really going to do it. And that's why the person is afraid to ask. See, asking facilitates trust and interdependence and communion. The person who can't ask for what he needs also usually has a hard time being humble and being open and being compassionate because they're prideful and they're not trusting. 
So when we have a hard time asking God for things in prayer, we need to examine our heart and find out why. So what are these good gifts that God wants us to ask for anyway? What are the good things that we're to ask for? You know, he says here in, in verse, uh, he talks about the father who gives good gifts to his children. What are those good gifts? Well, Luke gives us a parallel passage to this teaching of Jesus in Luke 11. But he includes a little something extra. He says in verse 13, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus tells us the good gift is the gift of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the good gift. So whatever we ask for in prayer at its root, what we're asking for is God's Spirit to work in and through and around us. It is the Spirit who bears the fruit of Christ's character in us, who prays for us when we are unable, who reminds us of Jesus' teachings and guides us into all truth. It is the Spirit who equips us to serve with gifts and with wisdom and with boldness. We will see lives changed. We will see prayers answered when we partner with God by His Spirit in prayer. Dallas Willard says it this way, instead of harassing those near us with judgments and treasures, we stand before the wise and mighty King with our requests for them. That's how we see people's lives changed. We ask. The second thing we do is we seek. We seek. We look. Now, what is it we're seeking for? Remember what Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.33. What did He say? He said, to seek first His kingdom and righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. The kingdom of God and His righteousness is what we're to seek. We seek to join God where He is already working. We seek to be a part of God's epic story. We seek... In prayer, asking to be a part of His kingdom, to partake of His righteousness. Again, I go back to quote Dallas Willard from The Divine Conspiracy. He gives a short definition of prayer. I love this definition of prayer. He says that prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together. Isn't that beautiful? Prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together. Prayer is a partnership a relationship, a communion with the Father. In our Old Testament passage this morning, in Jeremiah 29, 10-14, God says that when we seek Him with all our heart, when we call upon Him in prayer, He promises to hear. He promises to be found. He promises us a glorious plan for our good, and He promises to work in and through us for the good of the world. If we seek God, He promises that He will be found. And the third purpose of prayer is to knock. Now, it's interesting. When you read Matthew 7, uh, 7 and 8 here in the Greek, there's no word for knock. I mean, for door. I'm sorry, there's no word for door. If you were to translate this literally, it would just say, knock and it will be open to you. There is no word there for door. And in fact, most... Ancient Jewish houses back then didn't have doors the way we think of doors. They had courtyards with a gate. We see an example of this in Acts 12, 13, where it says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And then she rushes back in to tell everybody that somebody's knocking out there on the outer entrance, on the gate to the courtyard. So, what are we knocking on if it's not a door? 
What is it that we're asking God to open for us? Well, look what Jesus says in the very next verse after our passage today. Look at verse 13 and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate. We are knocking on the gate. On the gate of the kingdom of God. The narrow gate that leads to the narrow way, that leads to joy and peace and life. That's the gate that we're knocking on. The gate into the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom. That's the purpose of prayer. It's a, it's a kingdom purpose. It's not you-centered. It's not me-centered. It's kingdom-centered. Understand? Amen? Now, the next thing Jesus is telling us in this passage is the persistence of a praying life. Because, if, again, if you look at the Greek, which I know you guys all do, right? If you look at the Greek of this, these imperatives are, are present-active. So really it's better translated, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, be persistent. Luke gives us two parables that Jesus uses to illustrate the nature of persistence in prayer. In Luke 11, Jesus tells the story of a man who in the middle of the night, like at midnight, goes to his friend's house and knocks on that gate and calls out to him, and, and the man wakes up and he's like, what are you doing? My kids are in bed. What are you doing? And the man says, I've had some unexpected guests show up and I need bread. I don't have enough food to feed them. And Jesus says that the man gets up, gets the bread, and gives it to the man, not because he's his friend, but because of the boldness of coming at midnight and knocking on the door and asking for it. Jesus gives another parable in Luke 18. And it's the parable of the widow who relentlessly, persistently goes to the judge and asks him to judge fairly in her favor against her adversary. And this judge is an unjust judge. He fears neither God nor man. But finally, he says, you know what? I'm going to give this woman what she wants. I'm going to rule in her favor just to get her out of my hair because she's wearing me out. And Jesus says that the point of this story is that if this unjust judge will answer a persistent plea. Will not God, who is just, bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him night and day? In both of these stories, what would have happened if either the man or the widow had walked away and had given up? Well, either the man's friend or the, or the judge, either they would not have had the opportunity to finally answer the request, or if they had, neither the widow or the man would have known about it because they would have left. The point is that we've got to carry around our request. We've got to stick with it. Jesus wants us to have stick to when it comes to our prayers. Because in prayer, Jesus teaches us that we are proceeding on the basis of our relationship with the Father. Now catch this. Prayer isn't formulaic. It's relational. Prayer isn't mechanical. It's personal. And one of our jobs is to be persistent in prayer. Stay with your request. Carry that burden of prayer for your fellow man and don't lay it down. Then we come to the promise of a praying life. And we're going to wrap up here shortly. Two things about the promise of a praying life I want us to see. One is the boldness of the promise. Nowhere in ancient literature do you see the kind of boldness that Jesus gives us here. He says, if you ask, it will be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open to you. There's boldness to this promise, but I want you to look at the basis of this promise. 
God's greatness and goodness is the foundation of a prayerful life. It is the assurance that God is better than the best of human parents. And think about what Jesus says here in this little parable. If a child asks for what he needs, what father would instead give him what is unhelpful? A stone. Or what is even harmful? A snake. You wouldn't give your children something unhelpful or harmful if they came to you with a need. So if we can just remember that in our prayers, we are coming to our good and gracious Abba Father who loves us more than we can imagine. If we can pray with that remembrance, it will transform our prayer lives. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists if to believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him, that God is a good and gracious God. And if you earnestly seek Him, He will honor and bless that. And the Bible illustrates time and time again how God hears and answers the prayers of His children. And finally, I want us to look at the products of a praying life. Look at verse 12. It may seem like verse 12 is out of place. It's the golden rule. What does that have to do with prayer? Well, there's a little word right there. In the NIV, it just says so, which is weak. So. I don't like that word. It's therefore. Say that with me. Therefore. That's a good word. That's a strong word. Therefore. And anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you've got to look at what it's there for. Isn't that right, Mark? You've got to look at what it's there for. Jesus has just been talking about how our good and gracious God gives us what is helpful and needed. Right? Therefore, in everything, treat other people the way that your Father treats you. Be as gracious, be as compassionate to the people around you as God is to you. See, one of the products of a praying life is that we begin to treat other people the way God treats us. This is a recurring theme in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, if you look back at verse 9, it says that if we're peacemakers, we're called the sons of God. We're reflecting the very character of God if we're peacemakers. Jesus says in verses, chapter 5, verses 44 through 45, that, that we have got to be kind to the righteous and the unrighteous just as God is kind to the unrighteous and, and, and the righteous. That we can't just love those who love us back. We've got to love those who even hate us. If we do that, then we're reflecting our Father in heaven. And then in verse 48, he even says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How else can we shine our good works so that the watching world gives glory to our Father in heaven and not to us? Because we begin, as we pray, as we live a praying life, we begin to look like our Father in heaven. We take on that family resemblance. And when people see us, they don't give us the glory. They give it to our Father who must have raised us right. Philippians 4, 6-7 uh, gives us another product of the praying life. And in verse 7 he says, the peace of God. If we pray, if we take our burdens and our cares to Him, Paul says, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have the peace of God? Have you experienced this kind of an intimate relationship with your Father in heaven? Is He your Father? Jesus Christ wants to give you peace. 
He wants to give you the peace of forgiveness. He wants to give you the peace of His Spirit. He wants to give you the peace of knowing that your future is securely in the Father's hand who has a plan for your hope and your future. But you've got to put your hand in His hand. You've got to place your faith and trust in Him. And if Jesus Christ is not the King of your heart, He can be today. Maybe for you this morning, God is calling you to join this church, to unite with this family of faith, to partner with us in asking, seeking, and knocking for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done. And how is your prayer life? Do you have a living, vibrant relationship with God? Do you wake up every morning just hungry to spend time with the Lord? This altar is open. Maybe you need to come and renew your daily walk with Christ. Maybe you need to ask Him to put in your heart that hunger and thirst for this kind of prayerful life because you need to better reflect your Father in Heaven. I pray that something in this message, something in our worship this morning has struck a chord in your heart. And whatever God has spoken to you, I I plead with you to obey. Whether that's to come down here this morning or to go out these doors different, you do what God has called you to do. Will you stand as we sing?